0: Otherwise, with Nancy Richards.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much, Lulu. Well, otherwise it is with me, Nancy Richards, uh, talking women together with Hazel McWizzeny Garnet and Quinica. Well, at last, finally, the UK have got themselves a brand new prince, a happy prince. Well, he's certainly made a whole nation very, very happy, and now we just wait with bated breath to find out what the little chap's going to be called. Hopefully he's a happy prince. Imagine imagine how much he's going to have and see him do in his life. Quite a thing, eh? Well, let me tell you what we've got lined up and uh, otherwise coming up right now. Um, first up on the show today, Loss. We're going to be talking with a social worker, Shirley Nozipo hugo who shares some real-life stories in her book. So we'll be having a chat to Shirley to find out how and why she wrote the book and uh, what some of these stories are. After that, Africans for Africa Network. Well, it's a project for which Vanessa Perrimal has spent nine years trying to set this one up. So finally she's made it and it'll be interesting to hear what it was that she was so desirous to do. And finally, a play or drama strategist, she's Elaine Rumble. And she has, amongst other things, been plying her trade in prisons so we'll find out how that went that's what we've got lined up and don't forget if you'd like to share especially your stories of loss if you'd like to share I think you would be so welcome the number is 0892 10 2010 0892 10 2010 and if you want to pop us on our message on our Facebook page you can do that too it's otherwise on SAFM well, no, not what's news today, because uh, I thought instead I would just give you a few, a few indicators of what Shirley's book contains. First up, let me tell you this one. It's a chapter called A Young Woman Lost Her Husband. She said it was such a sad story to hear about the loss of Nandy's husband. The sad part was at the arrival at the hospital. She requested assistance with her husband, whom she could see that she was losing. On arrival in the hospital, she was happy she had made it in time for emergency help. To her surprise, the health workers told her to relax and just told her that her husband was just stressed and hysterical. They put him in bed and left him there alone and continued with administrative work as if there was no emergency. In about ten minutes, he was gasping. Nandy screamed for help when she noticed her husband's condition. The first nurse came and noticed the gasping. She rushed out to call the doctor and in five minutes, it was all over. Her husband was gone. The big challenge for Nandi was to then be a widow with two small children, meaning also to be a single parent. And how indeed do you deal with that? And if you're wanting to help, how do you help with that? Another one of the stories is called When a Miscarriage Happens. And I just thank the good Lord that uh, Kate didn't have a miscarriage. How awful would that have been? I wonder how the nation would have dealt with that. Well, uh, just very briefly in uh, Shirley's book, When a Miscarriage Happens, medically, they say, it's when the body ejects a fetus. This is an involuntary process that cannot be stopped neither by the pregnant woman nor the doctor when it's happening. Paternally, this is when all hopes of being a mother are shattered instantly. It's a sad moment that creates a vacuum in a woman, followed by the need to have another child. Well, we'll hear a little bit more about that in just a minute because we've got Shirley on the line. But don't forget if you'd like to share with us... Um, perhaps your story of loss and maybe how somebody else has helped you through it because, you know, you are not alone. I think that's the, the subtitle of Shirley's book is that you really aren't alone if you've had a loss in your family. There are people out there who can help. And if you know somebody who's got a loss, what can you do to help ease the pain, ease the burden? So that's what we've got lined up. If you'd like to give us a call, 0892 Otherwise, on SAFM. Otherwise, it is here on SAFM, and I'm Nancy Richards. And first up, our guest today is Shirley Nozipo-Hugo. Well, she's a social worker in private practice, and she's had many, many years of experience, all of which have taught her a great deal, not least, of course, which is how to handle loss, how to help other people who have suffered loss. And the subtitle of her book, as I say, is called You Are Not Alone. We've got Shirley on the phone. Hi, Shirley. Hi, Nancy,
2: and your listeners. Nice to have you with us. Thank you very much. All the way from Port Elizabeth. Are you still in Port Elizabeth? No, actually I'm based in Bloemfontein currently. Okay. okay. So have
1: you been has all your your working life been in Bloemfontein?
2: Yes, it has been in Bloemfontein because when I qualified as a social worker I started okay. working at Bloemfontein child welfare. So I've been in Plumfontein since, and um, that was in 1994.
1: Okay. Oh, oh, goodness me, that is a long time. It is. Um, very auspicious at length of time. Uh, Shirley, let's start with you and being a social worker. And I suppose one thinks of social workers as being people who are, are there to fix all social ills. You know, if you've got a problem, call a social worker because she's going to help you. Somehow, I hadn't quite thought of social workers in terms of helping with loss. Is it something that as a social worker you come across a lot?
2: It is actually, Nancy, and uh, for me, when I started as a social worker, I was doing general work, like a case work where you deal with losses and group work and community work. But as, as you go on, you, you realize, like I, I worked a lot with foster parents, and I realized that the problems they had with their foster children were basically around loss, the loss of their biological parents. And sometimes the foster parents dies and the child loses the, loss, the, the hope now that they have a new family. And I was observing this trend. And when I started working uh, at uh, Vista University in Blomfontein as a student counselor, I was also experiencing this uh, uh, trend of loss being experienced by our students. Others will find that they are in the care of their grandmothers after losing their parents. Others they lose their partners. And once people don't deal with loss, it affects them later in life. Then that's when I decided that perhaps I should uh, open a private practice and try to see if I can help people with counseling on this issue of loss so that they have closure on these losses that they are experiencing and the traumas they go through. Yes, it's a lot of different losses
1: that, that you mentioned. There are lots of different types of losses. I suppose one usually thinks of somebody simply dying. But, yes. but loss, interesting that you mentioned foster parents there. Foster, the foster children themselves having lost their biological parents is one thing. The foster parents maybe lo- losing their children at some stage. I mean, foster parenting is, is, um, can be temporary.
2: Yes, yes. It's also another form of loss, uh, Nancy. Like if you think of a foster parent who's taking care of a child until 18 and when they are over 18, some can be in contact with the adoptive, like if the child was now um, because of the conditions of the parents. And maybe the parent recovered and is in a new condition now than initially when the child was put on foster care, and the parent starts looking for the child and wants to take over and rebuild the relationship with that child. You know that loss of the original uh, parent who was a foster care, who was a foster care parent when now the original mother is facing again. And you have to fight that this is my child and the other one saying this is my child. It can be traumatic because you think of the attachment, the emotional attachment, the stages of development of this child that you've been taking care of, not knowing where the parents are or knowing the bad conditions of the the mother. But when the child is old, suddenly the mother is coming up again. So it's another form of loss. It's not only about death when we talk about loss. Yes, It's all these forms of loss that they're actually traumatic
0: yeah
1: absolutely i hadn't really thought in terms of losses you know when the person who is lost is still alive which is not to even mention the issue Mm. of lost children Mm. uh, which is a huge one if your child goes missing um, and you know maybe you may never find them again that is also another sort of loss do you deal with that sort of loss
2: uh-huh. You, yes, as social workers, we are challenged with, to deal with that as well. Because if you recall, Lindsay, what I said is that when you don't deal with the loss, it tends to affect you later in life. Because if like, you, you lose your child, you don't know, the, the police cannot find the child. You don't know if the child is dead. You don't know what happens. Then you can't have closure. And the decisions that you make with the children that you are having at the moment are based on the loss of that child. Even at work, even with your friends, even with your colleagues, that influences you because of what you have experienced before.
1: Yes, the issue of closure, well, closure it came up very loud and clear, didn't it, in the TRC, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, when people just wanted closure, they wanted to know where their child was buried, they wanted remains, whatever they may be, and I think that's something that we probably underestimate, those of us who haven't experienced that sense of closure. Yes. But Shirley, your book, it seems to me that each and every one of the stories is based on a true story. Is, is that the case?
2: It is actually the case, Nancy, as I was saying, that I started practicing as a social worker in 1994. And then after that, I was a student counseling, a student counselor, still counseling students at Vista University. And I opened my private practice in 1999. I actually started in '98, and then I got to my license in 1999. I started practicing legally with a certificate now from the Association for Social Workers in Private Practice in 1999. So I mixed the stories of my clients from 1994 up to, I think, 2010 when I wrote the book. And I clustered the the cases. It's real-life stories that really happened. But what you do, you cluster the stories that talk about the, the loss of the child, and then you mix all the clients that lost a child, how they started experiencing, how they dealt it, and you mix so that no client can be able to say, this is my story mm-hmm. at the end. But it is real-life stories that have happened. The boys who suffocated, the the student who did abortion, the loss of the only daughter, the miscarriage, and all those other stories that can go on and on.
1: Tell us a little bit about abortion, because it's a very, very sensitive one, um, you know, to, to suffer a miscarriage or even a stillbirth is one thing, but an abortion is a very, very difficult one. Do you, have you done a lot of counselling in, in that respect, and what do you tell a young woman who has
2: chosen to abort Um, I've done quite a bit on that, um, Nancy, and I must say the first case, really, it was a challenge for me. If you can uh, check in my book where I wrote about that case of abortion, I even said pushing myself to the edge because personally I'm against abortion. As a social worker, I believe there's foster care, there's adoption, but there are circumstances that force women to do abortion. So when I was faced with that uh, uh, client, I asked myself if I will be able to do justice when I'm against abortion. But then after counseling her, I realized that there are many reasons that force women to do abortion. Because then I had to tell myself that I must be a social worker for this client. Mm -hmm. I must not judge. I must be there for her. You know, with our principles of social work to say we must be non-judgmental. So I must be there for somebody who's in need of my, uh, my skills my help as a social worker and be there for her as a as a client who's helpless and it was worse because it was a student so mm. i had to be there for her counsel her because this student um got pregnant unexpectedly it was an unplanned pregnancy and she was from a very poor family and the brother was trying to assist her and uh, the the brother was fighting with the wife because the wife was didn't uh buy into helping this girl then she becomes pregnant, so it was very uncomfortable for the couple. But then she was scared to tell the brother that she's uh, pregnant, and she ended up doing abortion, of which the boyfriends didn't want to do anything with that pregnancy. But after she did abortion, the, the boyfriend was demanding the child. So this was very traumatic for that uh, uh, student, and even the nurses uh, were not very nice to her, and I think they were just teaching her a lesson. But it, it was a very serious situation. But I must say that I did cancel her well. I was able to go up to the last session when we were able to terminate, and we were able to even do a closing session for, for her to, to to say goodbye to that child. That was never born. But my lesson from that was that we should not always judge the people who do abortion because there are sometimes circumstances that force them to do abortion.
1: Absolutely, and I would imagine being non-judgmental occurs again and again. I mean, it may be that uh, a mother has been negligent and her child has got lost and, and gone missing and is never found again, and yeah. there will be women who would, or there will be other people who would judge her as well. So I suppose it, it's a human condition to judge people. What did you say to the young woman who had the abortion? Interesting, you said there that you had some sort of ceremony to give her closure.
2: I- what I said to her, like the things that I remember, because now they remember this was my case when I was doing my masters. I think that was ninety eight, you ne? Know? Yeah, no two thousand and one. Mm. Yes. Um. But why I focused on was that you need to learn a lesson out of every loss because you know there's this judgment that like even if the child is, is drowning in a pool, the husband will blame the wife. But even if the husband was there. The child will drown, but it, it, there's this blaming, you know. Then for, for this girl, the most important thing for, for her was to learn now, when gain, gaining the, the new stage now as a young woman who's having her periods, so who's the body changing, is to get information. You must get information, you must get help. People, when they have problems, they always assume that it's the end of the world. But you can find out that if you get out and try to get information, you might get help.
1: Yes, I suppose there is always help uh, somewhere out there. But it's interesting. It's a lesson to be learned out of every loss. Mm-hmm. Um, Shirley, we want to hear a little bit more about those lessons and really how, uh, you know, as somebody who is a friend of somebody who suffered a loss or a family member, how do you go about helping them? And I'm also thinking of that terrible case that we heard about yesterday, which was the other day, about the two women. I think they were cousins, both of whom lost their toddlers when they sprinkled what they thought was sugar on their porridge, and it turned out to be something poisonous. Mm-hmm. Very sad story of two women who both lost their their toddlers. But stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Otherwise. We're talking to Shirley Nozippo-Hugo, and she's talking about her book called The Stories of Loss. You're Not Alone.
3: Are you a manufacturer or an exporter of food and beverage or clean energy products? If yes, the Department of Trade and Industry invites you to participate in international exhibitions taking place in the United Arab Emirates, Japan and Germany between the 15th of January and 8th of March 2014. For more information, visit the dti.gov.za. Or call 0861-843-384. The DTI, empowering industries and broadening economic participation. Mark Twain once said, Sing like no one's listening. Love like you've never been hurt.
2: Dance like nobody's watching. Mark Lottery once said, Nieman, dance like 49 million people are watching. Because they probably are. Strictly
0: Come Dancing is back and now has a new home on SABC3. Join me and co-host Pavi Malloy on Wednesday, 10th of July from 8 till 10pm to see you tango their way to victory in Season 6 of Strictly Come Dancing, South Africa.
3: Otherwise, on SAFM.
0: And
1: we're talking about loss here on Otherwise right now, to, talking to social worker Shirley Nazipo-Hugo, whose book is called Stories of Loss. I'm going to give you the details of that in just a minute. Um, Shirley, I don't know if you came, if you heard that story about the two women who lost their toddlers. Did you, did you come across that?
2: I'm sorry, Nancy. I missed that yeah. story. Well, I'm sorry you missed it. I'm
1: sorry that it happened. More importantly, but how do you go? I think what we need to know from you is how do you go about helping somebody, whatever their loss may be. Do you sit and listen? Do you unpack their story? What do you do? What's your, your technique?
2: Um, for me, for me, uh, Nancy, it's very important to support, and support will mean to to listen to what they say, because sometimes they they talk, you know, when people are going through, how will I deal with this, how will I, you just, you don't have to answer everything they are saying, that how will I do, how will I pay fees, where will I get another, you don't have to answer, sometimes you just listen, and it's not right to say it's going to be fine. Because mm-hmm. that baby, at that moment, it's very critical that you must be realistic. Don't say it's, it's going to be fine when the baby is gone, because that baby is not coming tomorrow. So if you say fine and that person says, where will we I like get my baby? So it's important that sometimes you just be a shoulder to cry on. You can just be there for the person as they cry. You don't feel compelled to say something. You know, I had a client where I had a session where I just had to be there, and the client was just crying for the whole session. You just let her cry, and also let the, client move, let the person move at his own pace or her pace, like for this woman. Be there for them. Let them move at their own pace. Don't rush them to say they must give away the clothes of the children. Don't rush them to say they must move on. Let them move at their own pace when they are ready. Don't talk about uh, giving the, the, the clothes to the charity. Wait for them to say, What will I do with these clothes? Then you suggest that at that time, because for them, they're still attached. It's the only thing they have now. The the kids are gone, and it's it's very sad. And also just to be there for them, because sometimes they feel pressured to cry, to say something, to comment about this trauma. And for them, they're trying to make sense that my baby is gone. So sometimes they just need somebody who's going to listen to them and their own concern, and then you just respond to their concern, what will happen to this? And when they ask you a question that needs an answer. But if they say, what if I can't have another child? Mm -hmm. You don't have to answer that at this moment because, remember, it it goes in stages. There will come a stage when they are accepting that it has happened. There will come a stage when they are trying to move on.
1: Do you think it's easier for somebody who has suffered a loss, whatever it may be, to talk to somebody like yourself, who perhaps they don't know, than go to a family member?
2: Um, For me, I would say it would be easier to speak to a professional than to go to a family member. I'm saying that because you know with our society there are expectations. I'm, I'm so much passionate, Nancy, about women. You know, as a woman... You are expected to be to be married, you are expected to have a child, you are expected to do this, you are expected to do this, even when you get married, you are still expected to have a child, even when you know all those expectations. So when you have just lost a child, you might be dealing with that loss and people might be pushing you that, ah man, don't worry, you might have another child, you mm-hmm. can have another child. Or it's just such an accident, don't worry. At least you are married, you will be able to have another child. When people lose children, they don't want to talk about replacement immediately. Yeah. They, even if it's not children, even if it's a husband, if you lose somebody, you don't want to talk about replacement at that moment. You want to deal, share the moments how that baby was cute, how that baby was plumbing and what. But you don't want somebody telling you that you can have another child. Because no. it's not going to replace and, the original and In the case
1: of the, the story, a young woman lost her husband, that I was reading a bit there, the, the story of, of, let's call her Nandi, who lost her husband. Very, I mean, the last thing she wants to hear about is getting a replacement husband straight away. But but she would, I'm just thinking about that Nandi story, she would probably have at some stage been very anger, angry and she may even been wanting to blame somebody herself, whether it was the, the staff or whatever it may be. How do you, as a, as a person trying to help somebody with a loss, how do you help them deal with their anger? Do you just let them, as you would let them cry, do you just let them rant and rave as well?
2: You know what is more important? It's like a person, when you tell the person that the the, the baby has drowned and they cry and they scream, and you'll find people covering the mouth, giving the water, stopping. It's very important to let the person vent. And then afterwards, you support. If a person is screaming, yelling, you must let them just scream if they feel like screaming. Because I promise you, Nancy, it will not take more than five minutes. They scream at a high voice, and then it goes down because now they've released this pain. And it's it's just like somebody who is in pain like that. You don't start by stopping. You let them vent, and then afterwards, you move now with what they are saying. People who have experienced loss tend to have a a, a lot of challenges. Then they are unable to do this, then they are unable to do that. That's how you can support them. Then they raise the the, the issues that so-and-so is expecting me to do this and this. I'm not even ready for that. And then you deal with that.
1: I'm just going to ask you one last question because sometimes loss happens very suddenly and sometimes it happens over a long period of time. If there's somebody in your life who is is ill and that you know that they are dying you know that things are are not going to last much longer for them is there a way in which you can counsel people there to sort of prepare them for the loss that's
2: coming yes nancy you know unfortunately for us as social workers we even have to be prepare people for for death and dying Mm. actually i had a client i think around uh, february that i had to prepare for the death of her mother who had cancer and was on the last stage now and when the doctors had given up all hope after trying everything. It's quite a traumatic situation. Being a person, a human being, you feel for this other person. But now you have to be strong for your client. But we have to prepare people. We have to prepare for them to see that this is where it's leading. And you deal with the emotional aspect of that. And you deal with the physical aspects of that because now you find that maybe a person cannot even move anymore. How do you deal with the challenges of dealing with that person who can move, who not move, um, having to use nappies and uh, ensuring that a, a person doesn't develop blisters because of lying down for a long time and preparing the whole family because sometimes there's a caretaker, a person who's always there for this uh person who's about to die and informing the, the broader family about the pending death. Because sometimes you find that because the caretaker is the one who has been giving care to the person who is about to die, might be the one who has to share the bad news with the female even before the death. So you sort of support this person on how to communicate with the broader female. After you have dealt with the the first person, especially the emotional aspect, because it can be very traumatic to know that this person can die any minute and you are watching the situation.
1: It's no easy road, absolutely. Um, Shirley, thank you so much. And I think if anybody would like to get hold of a copy of your book, and it's also available as an e-book, I've yes. got your email address here, which is myshe.hugo at gmail.com. Is that right?
2: It, that's right, Nancy. It's also available in most of the exclusive books, okay. Wordsworth um, and pretty books and other bookstores. Okay. But if a person cannot get it, they can always drop me an email.
1: Excellent. Shirley Nazipo-Hugo, thank you very much. Thanks for sharing, and thanks for writing it all down. I think it's probably going to be very valuable to a lot of people. Thanks for your time.
2: Thank you so much, Lindsay, no for this interview as well, and thanks to your listeners.
1: The Stories of Loss, You Are Not Alone is the name of the book. It's published. Uh, it's written by Shirley Hugo. It's available at leading bookshops, but if you can't get it, uh, Shirley's email address is myshe, which is myshe.hugo at gmail hugo at gmail.com we'll put that up on our Facebook page incidentally if it's a topic that's uh, close to your heart um, it's something we're going to be talking about on our help desk tomorrow here on otherwise teenagers and grief and bereavement so do join us for that we're going to be talking to a woman who knows exactly what she's talking about too so stay with us right now though we're going to be talking about play and we're going to be talking about Africans for Africa Network in just a minute but right now it's 1.30 time for the news headlines with Lulu Kapu
3: Otherwise, on SAFM.
1: But right now you're listening to Otherwise. Yes, you are indeed listening to Otherwise here on SAFM. Well, first up, we do indeed have Vanessa on the line. She's Vanessa Paramal, and she is the founder of something called Africans for Africa Network, which aims to challenge the prevailing narrative of Africa from one driven by Western media to one that reflects the inherent strengths and empowerment of the continent across a variety of different African-centred platforms. It's taken Vanessa a very long time to get this uh, this uh, initiative together, and we got on the line to explain. Hi, Vanessa.
0: Hi, Nancy. How are you?
1: Mm, well, very well. Thank you. I think it's taken you a very, very long time, like nine years. Why so long, and what were the challenges? What were you really driving at here?
0: You know, 19 years into freedom, firstly, I come from the ghettos on the east land in Actonville, Gobalone. So I'm a black South African of Indian descent. And when I, be- when I studied journalism, I got into cultural reporting as a publicist. And in the space, I recognized a need to improve uh, the transformation process rather early in the game, because we needed to game change. Firstly, in an apartheid South Africa, touching on cultural, uh, culture and arts and culture in a transformation space wasn't happening in the first place. So we never got to understand what black and Indian and coloured art forms were bringing into the new South African stable. Secondly, as I started making uh, uh, developing my own business as a social entrepreneur and demand for the product of publicity that i produced became as uh, became to the for- came to the forefront in such a way that i created a niche for africans for south african content i recognized quite quickly that we could become producers of content in the african content at the same level as western european content producers and bring a narrative change that can allow us to look at our con- our continent outside the current content that we receive through sky bbc cnn etc that shows us always as a continent in peril that shows us as a continent in poverty and we never get to show the wonderful products that we have available in an economic space that can grow markets that can speak to opening new markets for performances, that can speak into economic development of of Africa. And that was something I tapped into. And when I got to Germany to 2006 and I worked on the handover, I recognized the importance of producing content in spaces uh, like media centers and resource centers, that quickly can grab the attention of the world's media. And so that was the catalyst for really starting a movement to bring in a narrative change.
1: When you say content, are are we talking about media? Are we talking about news-driven content? Or are we talking about um, uh, the arts content?
0: You know, music and art is where I make my money on and where I was able to activate as a business person. And 99% of my work, work is in the cultural industries. I recognized quickly that journalists around the world, news house, newspapers, uh, uh, press agencies, will largely produce what they get through news networks. So initially, I started churning out content, getting paid to do content. But in doing so, in the World Cup itself, I recognized how far we are in the gap of producing content that speaks to transforming Africa. And largely, I recognise as a businesswoman, as a social entrepreneur, there is common purpose in current day South in 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 Africa, trying to reach platforms that can turn around Western content produced on African uh, um, politics. landscape of how we economically engage with each other, the corruption, etc., And I recognize unless we can put out our own good news stories, there really is going to be nobody else who's going to tell our stories. So we're looking at a platform that can tell Africa's strengths and offer an intervention to the cultural industries. And it, it became easier to start on that that I know. And so in Putting out this over a nine-year period, there's a groundswell and a movement for change already happening in Africa. And the Festival of the Desert, which is now banned and in exile because of the war in Mali, was really a catalyst to pull together common-purposed activists for change in the cultural space. And so people like Sibongile, uh, Kamalo, Pops, Mohammed, etc., on the continent had added their voices to say that freedom of expression should be a basic cultural human right for all. And as a result of that conversation, uh, we looked at our own leverages that we had. And in 2009, I launched the African Media Resource Center of Excellence. It was really a space to encourage the furtherance and production and producing of content and research material, either new or those in repositories that could that we could put out through Google, Yahoo, news agencies and see how this news content and the narrative can be changed uh, in a global setting on African content.
1: For the purpose of making the rest of the world feel that, you know, something really good is happening here, but also for the purpose of making us feel better about ourselves?
0: Absolutely, yes. I've... I've aligned myself with partners, uh, Beth Arendt is somebody uh, who worked for the Department of Arts and Culture uh, and is an international relations strategist. And, you know, through her networks, we've understood that we already have common purpose, uh, uh, unilateral and bilateral treaties that we can interact on that will allow us to use it as an instrument to further the aims of the African cultural uh, renaissance as an example, the other per- partner we have on board now is mto Jenny Art Center in the, the Eastern Cape, who is, uh, whose driver, Nomsa Mazwai, is a master's degree student, a young South African in the top 200 of the Mail and guardian, list, who's using the change of narrative to open new markets, to economically develop the Eastern Cape through an African network. Uh, we've just also uh, got a relationship with India that uh, very much saw our media release and saying we would like to talk transformation and narrative change and touching on issues of things that can make us feel good in India in a transformation space and how can we get part of the narrative. So merely just telling own stories, opening new markets, accessing visionaries and uh, through citizen networks. You know, this this is a Funded, this is a not funded movement for change. There's no government support yet. It's purely a citizen activism movement. And in p- places like Timbuktu, uh, in Rwanda, in Kenya, in Ghana, we have a group of social conscious journalists driving the Africans for Africa network. Africans for Africa is a loose term, and I think started by many an organization. Our intervention is bringing in a dialogue change. So in the intervention we'd like to see through the movement of festivals putting on uh, music stages also talking and putting in platforms where dialogue with our peers with governments with young people can take place. So you know it's 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 a pioneering concept. Yeah. yeah. So we're we trying to just, coordinate just civil society yeah. to generate the substance that activists can work on in a common-purpose vehicle. I was hoping that Beth O'Nomso was going to join me on this conversation.
1: Well, uh, sadly, we were actually run out of time, so I'm afraid it's not going to happen. But what I really want to know is, is it up and running? How can people access your material? Is it is it online?
0: Yeah, yeah we've got a website, both the m website right now, it's, uh, www.jtcoms.co.za is our website, the Festival of the Desert, as a, as a website, and mtogeny has a formal program. Okay, I'm going to give. I'm
1: sorry, Vanessa, I'm just going to give one website here because we're getting a bit. Uh, uh, it's www.jtcoms.co.za That's, Yes. And they'll probably find the festival of the desert details on that as well.
0: Absolutely, okay. and also the mtogeny website. It's, sorry, the Inter, Mtogeny? E-M-T-O E-M-T-O J-E-N-I
1: Okay, so it's the empty Journey and uh, Festival of the Desert. Yes. Super. Vanessa, thanks, thank you Nancy. so much. Very best what? of luck and uh, all your hard work sounds like it's paying off at last. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Vanessa Perrimol, well, if you'd like to find out a little bit more, do check their website, which is www.jtcoms.co.za and we'll put that up on our Facebook page. listen to otherwise, stay with us. Listen up for Shop Shop Children's Program on SAFM with Leon Fisser at 10 minutes to 2 Tuesdays and Thursdays.
0: SAFM interacts on every level. Visit our website at safm.co.za. Follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio or simply like our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. Let's have the conversation. SAFM, SAFM South, South
3: Africa's, Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, on SAFM.
1: It is indeed otherwise here on SAFM, Talking Women. Well, actually, we don't have who we thought we were going to have in the studio, but we do have, which is the good news, we have Maximilian or Max Kaizen. She's an educator, she's an entrepreneur, she's an activist, and she's doing all sorts of things, plus she's going to be talking, or she's also part of the Creative Commons um, uh, initiative here in South Africa, which is a very, very exciting move. So I'm going to stop introducing you, Max, and let you tell <laughs> <Thank> me you. <laughs> exactly what it is that you do. Tell,
3: tell me all. So, Nancy, I'm deeply moved by I'm, – I'm a geek okay from really early on in my life and i love being able to be a tour guide if you will to the digital world oh, okay to making it less terrifying can i sign up right now oh yes <laughs> oh bring it on and this is the this is the delightful thing whether it's um regardless of whether you're a toddler at montessori school or being able to to take somebody who's Thoroughly terrified by technology, there are these escape patches in, and being able to walk around and seeing that even if you work with your hands, that the digital infuses intelligence and and a deep humanity to where we are, and being able to see the lights come on, to being able to help women get a real sense of their presence. As well online is just it's such a delicious
1: space I, yes I think that the tour guide to the digital world sounded to me like it just says it all and I think mm. that there are probably a huge amount of people who would lining up to get on your tour <laughs> um, not least myself I have to say but so what you do is you make sense of, a, of the of technology for that's appropriate to each and every person who needs it indeed but you are with your with the creative commons just explain yes. the creative commons I think it's it's something that has been happening it's sort of burgeoning. Just explain it for us.
3: Mm. So Creative Commons is a global non-profit where we create tools, licensing tools, that allow for copyright and intellectual property, so whether it's how um, filmmakers choose to, to share their, their film or photographs to 3D printing schematics that can be shared, as well as uh, UNESCO, the um, World Bank being able to share data back, Medicine, the Human Genome Project, being able to crack open the world that was quite closed to realizing how we can copy legally without it being piracy, but being able to really just nourish ourselves with common culture, and science as well, global research. Is it a
1: bit akin, and I was talking about this on our Sunday program, SFM Literature, is it a
3: bit akin to uh, open access? It is. Open access falls under Creative Commons, so we just steward and create the tools that allow for it to happen. The TED videos are shared because they're licensed under Creative Commons that allow for it to spread easily and legally. So there are two ways
1: in which you might need to be guided through this, either as a consumer or as a producer. Indeed. Uh, of, or, uh, yeah, somebody who's creating the whatever it is and somebody who's going to consume it. Let's start with the the creator, the producer. The TED Talks is a prime example of, of information from all over the world coming to everybody all over the world. How else may it be used? I mean, how else may one, if one is a a poet or a filmmaker or a whatever, or even a book Mm. um would you then design a platform for
3: this person no what we what we do is provide the suggestion lines of looking at the communities that use creative commons so like wikipedia as well but if you're a if you're a poet And you realize, so if you're a hip-hop poet, spoken word, and you can't afford the sampling of being able to build on somebody else's riffs and words and samples of their music, this allows you to, to take your own and being able to share back and go you can remix on my work i use other creative commons work to build on whether i'm making a film whether i'm drawing in music and being able to to build on each other's intelligence with these slightly open licenses so in some way you you can through the licenses you have a choice of spectrum of whether you want um companies to be able to use your music or poetry, so first you have to identify who your target
1: is, who you're oh wanting gosh. to who stuff you're wanting to share um who and who you want to share it, so who you can work with, and that's where you need the guiding the guidance mm. is mm. it
3: but often as with, as with so much in digital, we have no cooking clue. At the beginning, we have no idea who's going to use our stuff and where we'll evolve. And so much of, of what we're seeing and both the terror and the promise of technology it is the space that we need to negotiate. And we need to negotiate together because not all evolution is progress. And there are ethical issues there. And being able to to steward and to guide good behavior online is imperative. It's a wonderful thing to have somebody flesh and blood sit next
1: to you and explain things like it, like you're doing now. But is it is there also um, a site that somebody can go on and, and yes. have a look and, and in their own time think,
3: where does my stuff fit into this? Of course. So creativecommons.org, and that's the global site where if you're a government so there are governments that use the licenses whether you're a musician um there are case studies and you can go through and you can get a real sense of being able to try out if it's just for your blog posts being able to grab the licenses pop them in see how they do
1: so how do you how do you come in do you then um work with people and guide them through this
3: so that's not our role. So we, our role, us being, are being Creative Commons as a body. Okay. So there's, there's a large affiliate group from mainland China and Korea through the States, Guatemala. So you could be working anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. And this is, again, we're geographically agnostic because it's this space time that's been warped by digital. And we need new laws and new ways of interacting and behaving with each other in a global culture. So where can one find out more? Ah, so this is in, in, in that I think that Creative Commons is the space. But I will be speaking at the Arts and Culture Trust Conference, okay. which is coming up uh, on August the 6th, 6th to the 8th. Three days of being able to wrangle. Whether you're a Here policy maker, it's in Johannesburg, and tomorrow is the last day for registration. Oh, okay, so hurry now. Hurry and now. The, and the uh, contact detail there would be actact.org.za. Yeah. Dot dot okay. And our digital day is going to be on the third day, so that's where we're really going to dig in and look how artists can win.
1: Got to close, but Maximilian
3: Kaizen, thank you so much for joining us. Such a here. pleasure, Nancy. Let me give you the
1: details once again, act.org.za, if you want to find out more about the Arts and Culture Trust Conference between the 6th and the 8th of August, three days in Doburg. org, if you'd like to find out more there. Thanks very much, team. Up next, it's Shop Shop, the children's programme.